Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Thursday, April 25th. In today's news, Texas executes a white supremacist. Some of the suicide bombers in Sri Lanka came from money. And the Trump administration targets LGBT rights at home and reproductive rights abroad. But first, the big idea. Joe Biden made it official this morning. He launched his third campaign for the presidency, efforts that have spread over 32 years, with an announcement posted on YouTube. The three-and-a-half-minute video opens with images of white supremacists and racially motivated violence in Charlottesville, and then pivots quickly to Donald Trump. The former vice president offers this rationale for his candidacy. We are in the battle for the soul of this nation. I believe history will look back on four years of this president and all he embraces as an aberrant moment in time. But if we give Donald Trump eight years in the White House, he will forever and fundamentally alter the character of this nation, who we are. And I cannot stand by and watch that happen. The core values of this nation are standing in the world, our very democracy. Everything that has made America, America is at stake. That's why today I'm announcing my candidacy for president of the United States. Now, the entry of the 76-year-old is certain to shape at least the next few months of the 2020 Democratic primary fight, given his early lead in every national poll. Biden made his announcement just hours before a major campaign fundraiser was to take place in Philadelphia. His first campaign event, which will be union-themed, is expected to be held next Monday in Pittsburgh, a Democratic city whose suburbs and exurbs are filled with the sorts of voters who abandoned the Democratic Party to side with Trump in 2016. Biden will also appear on The View this Friday. A Democratic force for nearly five decades, Biden built his career as a campaigner on his connection with working-class voters, including white voters that he often refers to as the ethnic vote, Midwestern, Irish, Italian, and Polish Catholics, or South Florida Jews. His campaign style tends toward the populism of Franklin Roosevelt, railing against those with money and power who he claims work against the needs of middle-class Americans. After Trump's election in 2016, Biden made clear that he believes the cause was a failure by Democrats to connect with these voters. At the same time, Biden is also expected to play up and benefit from his tenure as number two to the nation's first black president. In early polling, Biden has been popular among black voters who make up a dominant Democratic voting bloc in many states, including South Carolina. Barack Obama has indicated, however, that he will not make an early endorsement in the race. Obama has remained a close friend and frequent booster of Biden, but he spent the year since leaving the White House focused on developing what he calls, quote, the next generation of Democratic talent. Obama advisors say that has not been intended as a signal for Biden not to run, though Biden has written that he believes Obama tried to indirectly discourage him from running against Hillary Clinton in 2016 when they had private conversations about it. Like Clinton, Biden voted as a senator in 2002 to authorize the use of force in Iraq, which cleared the way for the war launched by George W. Bush. Biden later said he regretted that vote. During the 2012 campaign, Biden also praised Obama for overlooking his objections to approving a secret raid that led to the killing of Osama bin Laden. As he finalized his plans to run in 2020, Biden has been buffeted by a 
wide range of positions that in some cases were in line with democratic orthodoxy long ago, but are now out of step with the times. It's a circumstance that presages what awaits him on the campaign trail. This includes his strident support for anti-busing legislation in the 1970s, his mishandling of the Anita Hill hearings during Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas's nomination process, and his arm twisting on behalf of a crime bill in the 1990s that majorly contributed to our culture of mass incarceration. Biden has often stumbled in recent weeks as he's attempted to address many of those issues. He's also come under criticism for his hands-on style. Several women have said that he made them feel uncomfortable with hugs, pressing his forehead against theirs, or in one case, smelling the hair of a Nevada politician. Biden responded with a video that said, quote, social norms are changing and promising that he would be much more mindful in the future. Then, two days later, he twice joked about the complaints during a speech to an audience of mostly male union workers. We'll see how it goes. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, two decades after his conviction, John William King was finally executed last night in Texas for the heinous murder of James Byrd Jr., a crime that horrified the nation and prompted a national conversation about hate crime legislation. The execution came at 7 p.m., less than an hour after the Supreme Court declined to issue a stay in the case. He was administered a lethal injection. The June 1998 attack instantly harked back to an era of lynchings and racially motivated slangs across the South. Prosecutors said that Byrd, a 49-year-old black man, was killed after being dragged from the back of a truck for three miles. The trials of the three white men charged with the murder drew wide attention to Jasper, Texas, a town of about 7,500, just a short drive from the border with Louisiana. One of the men was convicted of capital murder and executed in 2011. The other is serving life in prison. Bird's body was found in pieces along a country road. When he killed Bird, King was the exalted cyclops of the Confederate Knights of America, a white supremacist gang. The tattoos that he had the day of the murder included a Confederate flag, Nazi SS lightning bolts, a cartoon in a Ku Klux Klan robe, a swastika, the words Aryan pride, and finally, as a tattoo, a depiction of a black man hanging from a tree by a noose. It only took a jury two hours to come back with the verdict that he was guilty of capital murder. Luvon Bird Harris, one of the victim's two sisters, told us yesterday that the execution of the 44-year-old king is justice being served. She said that her brother's murder turned her from an opponent of capital punishment to a supporter. Number two, the Sri Lanka suicide bombers included the sons of one of the nation's wealthiest spice traders. Mohammed Yusuf Ibrahim is now in custody in connection with the attacks, which were carried out in part by two of his sons and a woman who authorities believe was his daughter-in-law. Meanwhile, Sri Lanka's Muslim community fears retaliation after the Easter bombings that killed more than 300 Christians. Mosque leaders have stopped broadcasting prayer calls over loudspeakers to avoid offending mourners. They've put up banners with messages of condolence for the victims. They've met with Catholic church leaders and police officials, and they've packed food kits for funeral volunteers. Still, they're bracing for a wave of anger and possibly violent retaliation that has begun to emerge. 
Hateful online messages blaming Muslims for the attack have evaded the government's emergency ban on social media, and stones have been thrown at several Muslim houses and businesses. Number three, the Trump administration is working on a new rule that civil rights organizations say will blow up the non-discrimination protections afforded by the Affordable Care Act for LGBTQ individuals. A new rule being jammed through the Department of Health and Human Services would make it easier for hospitals, physicians, and insurers to deny care and coverage to transgender people for religious reasons. The debate centers on the use of the word sex as it applies to those provisions. Some faith-based healthcare organizations protested in 2016 when Obama's health department interpreted that term to include gender identity and transgender people as protected classes. This month, as part of an 18-page filing in a Texas lawsuit, Trump appointees at HHS said that the Obama-era decision is illegal, and they're rewriting it. Their filing said, quote, The United States has returned to its long-standing position that the term sex does not refer to gender identity. Meanwhile, over at the United Nations, the Security Council yesterday passed a watered-down version of a resolution calling for the end of sexual violence in war after the Trump administration objected to the proposal's references to reproductive health. The Trump team worried that the language against sexual violence could be interpreted as support for abortion rights. Our European allies are furious. France's ambassador to the U.N. lashed out at the United States for what he called, quote, an intolerable and incomprehensible stance. Emboldened by the U.S. move, China and Russia threatened to join the protest, even though both had previously supported or abstained from similar resolutions before the U.N. General Assembly. After all the references to reproductive health were removed because of the U.S. demand, the resolution passed 13 to 0. And that's The Daily 202 for Thursday, April 25th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Holman. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow.